and welcome to the Builder Series of Stacker Chats, where we connect with the amazing people building in the Stacks ecosystem. My name is Gina Abrams, and I'm very excited to be joined by Jude Nelson today, Stacks core developer and research scientist at the Stacks Open Internet Foundation. Jude and I worked together prior to his joining the foundation, um, so I've been really looking forward to this conversation. And there's a ton of ground we could cover, but we're going to start with Jude's background, dive into app chains, and learn more about his work at the Stacks Foundation. So <laughs> thank you for uh, for being here, Jude. Um, I think there's some stories about your skepticism when first hearing about Bitcoin and crypto networks. Um, so I would love to start with um, hearing a little bit more about your journey to actually joining the Blockstack team all the way back in 2015 um, and sort of what, what changed your mind to, to be excited about the project? So I remember um, back before Munib even got started with one name, um, we worked together in the same lab in grad school. And that's about the time he got interested in trying to use blockchains to solve some difficult problems that existed at the time in social networks. Uh, namely, how do you build a decentralized social network? And that's kind of like where one name, the system that we called it before, it was called Blockstack, kind of came to be. Um, so the um, I know that he and Ryan Shea, his co-founder, were really interested in cryptocurrencies because they were, this is like, you know, 2014, 2015, they were just starting to really take off. Um, and one name, the system that they had built um, was a way to bind human readable usernames to um, Bitcoin wallets. So you would register a username. At the time, it was on the Namecoin blockchain. And um, you could tie it to a Bitcoin address or an Ethereum address. So there's a bunch of slots you could put in. Um, same with social. You could put in social verifications to prove that you were who you say you were. Um, so he, Muneeb and I would talk about this periodically just because we knew each other already. And um, that started to turn into he would invite me to come up to the one name office in New York, like just to spend like maybe a day a week there. Um, at the time, I was working on my thesis project, um, which had nothing to do with cryptocurrencies at all. Um, but I was finding myself in need of a uh, system that did a lot of the things that one name did. Um, the system that I was building needed a, um, a single sign-on system. So you would have a username and it would bind your username to um, some credentials, some extra metadata information. Um, but I didn't want to have that system um, reliant on a single um, administrative entity to control it. Because um, my thesis project focused on doing things in the wide area. So there's no center points control. And that's kind of what drew me ultimately to work on one name, um, then called Blockstack, because it solved this very particular problem I had with my thesis project. Um, that was actually what, what clicked for me. You can use blockchains for things besides trying to build cryptocurrencies. Um, because for months prior um, to that uh, revelation that I had, and to be clear, I still maintain this today, um, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are going to be victims, are kind of victims of their own success. They're not going to replace dollars or national currencies, et cetera, just because they just don't have the bandwidth to do it. And even if they did, the success story would be that they become just as heavily regulated as like the SWIFT networking visa which might be okay. Like I'm not here to judge or, or to say anything about like the philosophy or the underlying ethos behind that. I'm just looking at it purely from a distributed systems perspective. Um, I guess the other thing that came with that revelation that you can use blockchains for non-financial things um, is that it doesn't matter whether or not you believe that cryptocurrencies are going to become money or not. They're still valuable. Like the, the thing that really underpins the value of Bitcoin to me 
is the fact that I can store some data in the blockchain, um, specifically in something called an op return output uh, within a, a Bitcoin transaction. Like it's not a lot of space. It's like 80 bytes per Bitcoin transaction. But the stuff you can do with that 80 bytes is worth a hell of a lot more um, than what Bitcoin currently would be valued at um, if this was like widely known, widely understood information. In fact, we exploit this very system now to build the Stacks blockchain. All of the Stacks metadata that's needed to reconstruct the Stacks blockchain is embedded in these little 80 byte fields. So if you think about it that way, um, a single Bitcoin transaction might be worth a whole Stacks block. So thousands of dollars. And that's just yeah. a single little tiny sliver of data. That could be what underpins Bitcoin's value in the long run. I don't know, but like the point is though, there's more to Bitcoin than just trying to replace dollars. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like you're the person to, to best speak about that. <laughs> so hopefully we can dive further. Um, so I love hearing about this story and what intrigued you to, to begin with back in 2015, but you've now been with the project over a number of years. Um, can you share a little bit more of the evolution of your journey in the Stacks ecosystem um, and sort of where it's brought you, what you're working on today in your day-to-day? Sure. So um, back when I joined, it was one name and the uh, the first task um, I had when I joined one name officially um, was to uh, port the system from Namecoin to Bitcoin. Um, the story at the time was that like Namecoin was going to be this replacement for DNS. Um, and there's still, it still exists, like the chain is still out there. But the um, the thing that Munib discovered and he wrote, writes about in his PhD thesis is that if your chain is not widely used or not nearly as popular as like maybe the top few in the uh, on-coin market cap, um, bad things can happen to that chain and no one's going to notice. So we noticed, um, by we, I'm sorry, I should say Muneeb noticed, like we, like, because he shared it with us, that um, Namecoin being a merged mined chain, um, what that means is that uh, Bitcoin miners can submit their proof of work to the Namecoin chain and earn a Namecoin coin base as well. And in doing so, um, in theory, make it so that the Namecoin chain um, is secured by Bitcoin's hash power. Uh, what Muneeb discovered and reported in his PhD thesis is that merged mining doesn't work if you don't have all or nearly all of the uh, Bitcoin miners participating in it. Uh, what he discovered is that Namecoin was actually controlled by um, a single Bitcoin miner at north of 60% hash power. So Namecoin was effectively 51% attacked for like months and months at a time. And if that wasn't bad enough, no one noticed, no one cared. So that was kind of like a, a penny drops moment uh, for all of us thinking, oh shit, we can't rely on these smaller blockchains because they can break and we're SOL if they break. Like, what are we gonna do? Who's gonna care? Who's gonna spin up miners? Um, so the uh, conclusion we drew from that is we really should build on the strongest blockchain that if something bad happens, everyone's gonna notice and everyone's gonna raise hell about it. And that's kind of like the, the interesting social aspect of building on Bitcoin. It's the chain with the largest number of users that you can now deputize to keep the system secure. It's like the system with the largest number of canaries will start screeching the minute something bad happens. You're not going to get that with a small blockchain. So that's kind of like where the journey started. Like, okay, we have to build on Bitcoin. Everything must be built on Bitcoin because it is the most secure blockchain. And moreover, we need to build it in a way so that if something else gets better than Bitcoin, we can switch to that very quickly. Um, hard lesson learned there. And that's kind of like when the system got ported from Namecoin over to Bitcoin, that's kind of when we changed the name from one name to Blockstack. Because um, at the same time, we had noticed that um, the problems you need to solve in one name, so not only binding names to 
um, this extra off-chain metadata, you also need a way to store that metadata. You need a way to store profile pictures. Um, the amount of data you might store per name can grow unbound. So at about the same time as uh, we built, we ported the system over to Bitcoin, we kind of had this other aha moment that, oh, hey, we have, we have naming, we have storage, uh, we have an underlying peer-to-peer -peer network that replicates that data. This is looking more and more like uh, less and less like a single application, one name, and more and more like a platform, like a decentralized community-owned platform. And that's kind of when we changed the name to Blockstack. The, um, the reason it was called Blockstack is because at the time, there was this up-and-coming um, cloud computing platform called uh, OpenStack, um, which is supposedly meant to make it so that uh, you can combine different types of um, one-off services and turn them into a coherent cloud platform. I'm not quite sure how that ended up in practice. Um, it's pretty obscure now. I'm guessing it didn't quite work out that way. But at the time, um, that was the inspiration for the name Blockstack, a play on the word OpenStack. And that's kind of like where we were up until the Stacks 2.0 world. Like Blockstack became this platform um, on which you can build these decentralized apps where users own their own data and their own identities. And Stacks 2.0 is like a continuation of that story, but now they also own the means of computing, uh, realized in our case through smart contracts. But the fundamental design ethos is still the same. Um, we use Bitcoin to store um, hashes of metadata inside of op returns. And we have this other system that is, takes care of replicating state um, to all of the uh, stack specific nodes. Um, it's just that we've now um, reached the, the quote unquote master design as Mindy likes to call it, where you're not only storing name, naming and storage routing information, you're storing whole programs uh, written in Clarity um, that can do things beyond um, just simple name registrations. Absolutely. Um, and so that sort of brings us to your work at the Stacks Foundation. Um, I feel like since you've been through this incredible evolution of the project, you've also touched a lot of the um, sort of code within the ecosystem. So um, what are some of the things that you're most focused on today? Um, so right before we started this chat, I was working on making the mempool synchronization better so that transactions have a much higher chance of making it to all of the uh, um, stacks nodes mempools as opposed to like 50% of them, which is about where we're at right now. Uh, that said, like the, the primary thing that I work on right now um, is still the, the blockchain. Um, I, I work on the, on, uh, specifically I work on the, the parts that aren't Clarity. So Aaron works mainly on Clarity, for example. Aaron and most of the other hero engineers um, interface with that. Um, I work on the peer network, the, uh, um, the block database, the chain state, the uh, index over the chain state. Um, recently, I um, released a, a, a prototype system of app chains, which is a, one of a handful of scalability solutions that are being considered for the Stacks blockchain. Um, so yeah, like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm versatile. I work on, on most, I've touched most parts of the code base. I've worked on Gaia. I've worked on, the, it was called blockstack.js at the time. I, now it's called stacks.js. I'm pretty sure some of my code is still in there. I've worked on CLI tooling for it. Um, yeah, just wherever, wherever, wherever the need, wherever there's a need really. Is where, is where I contribute. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so that really brings us to this, this idea and concept of app chains. And this is something that you've really been thinking about for, for a few years at least, um, but almost working on it sort of as a, a side project. Um, as you mentioned, there's a number of scalability efforts ongoing, but um, this design in particular has been something that's really sort of Close, close to home. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about app chains um, and sort of the, the overview that you shared recently of the concept um, and some of the key takeaways for developers and, and, and users alike. Sure. Um, so just a bit of background. 
um, blockchains by themselves don't scale. Like a blockchain cannot scale. It's designed not to scale. It is the perfectly unscalable distributed system. Um, that's okay though, because what you get by giving up scalability, um, you gain in resiliency. So the fact that everyone in the world can run a Bitcoin node right now, for example, means that if you wanted to stop Bitcoin or break Bitcoin, you really have to attack a sizable portion of the internet itself, which is a tall order. And a lot of people would notice and be very upset by that, which in turn would lead to the attacker likely being stopped through some sort of ex protocol external means such as, you know, um, elections, revolution, um, protests, et cetera. That's a good thing. Um, the fact that anyone that everyone can get involved, the fact that everyone can get involved in your blockchain by running a node um, is really what gives it its staying power. And that's kind of like an echo of the lesson learned um, by you must build on Bitcoin because that's going to be, have the most people who are upset when something breaks. So blockchains not scaling means blockchains are highly resilient. So the, uh, but that doesn't mean that people are going to stop caring about scalability. Obviously, like, um, every, every, like at any given point in time, there's going to be one or, or a handful of blockchains that are touting the, we have infinite block capacity. You should use us because we have free transactions and they inevitably fail, uh, or they get obscure. Like, you know, there's a graveyard of them now. There's like big chain DB, like EOS isn't what it used to be. I think Solana is the popular one right now. It's going to scale, like give it five years. It's not that they're not trying, like their hearts are in the right place. It's just that the promise of blockchains is that anyone can run a node. And if you can't run a node, then why am I using a blockchain? There are way better ways to solve problems that blockchains solve if you can get rid of the requirement that users are expected to run nodes at home. Um, so that's just a bit of background. Like the reason, so blockchains by themselves cannot scale. But if the, uh, the set of blockchains that exist right now indicate anything, is that um, there can always be more blockchains. Like anyone can make an altcoin. You can you just fork a Bitcoin, you make a few changes, you fork Ethereum, make a few changes, you write your own from scratch, knock yourself out. Making altcoins is a relatively straightforward, permissionless way um, to add more aggregate transaction capacity to the entire crypto space. Um, so leveraging that that observation there, um, what app chains really are is they're just more stacks blockchains. Like every app chain is a stacks blockchain, same protocol, same transaction format, same clarity everything. Um, only difference is that um, what Stacks brought to the table is this novel consensus protocol called POX, um, which among other things, links a blockchain to an existing blockchain um, by making it so that you um, transfer and or destroy tokens in the existing blockchain in order to mine blocks in your new blockchain. That itself is what makes app chains tick. Um, each app chain is a POX blockchain that has its own token, um, but it's mined by um, like transferring or destroying tokens in an existing Stacks blockchain somewhere. So, you, so this, this, this pattern, of this, this mechanism of POX is very generalizable. You can have the Stacks blockchain running with Bitcoin. You can have app chains, like, i.e. other Stacks blockchains running on top of Stacks. You can have app chains on those app chains, app chains on those app chains, app chains on those app chains at infinitum. Uh, right now, I think the, the prototype is capped at uh, 2 to the 32nd power minus 2 um, possible app chains that can exist, which is about 4.1 billion. So, like, we can make that bigger down the road. We might have to make it bigger down the road. That'd be a wonderful problem to have if there are 4.1 billion app chains and we, we, we need more chain identifiers. Um, but, but the point is, though, like, we're never going to run out. Like, we can always make it so we just never run out. And... 
through POX, uh, what that would mean is that all of these app chains are anchored fundamentally to Bitcoin. So the, the key innovation over having a whole set of app chains that anyone can go and instantiate and set up, much like how anyone can go instantiate and set up an altcoin, um, is that these app chains are still fundamentally secured by Bitcoin. And they come with all of these batteries included um, bits of technology, like the Stacks Wallet would work with an app chain, the Stacks Explorer would work with an app chain, um, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Um, moreover, because they're linked together through POX, um, you have this really nice um, economics property that helps you reason about the security of individual app chains, which is super helpful to the users because when you send a transaction, you want some assurance that your transaction is going to stay on the main chain. Um, one thing that's currently not really talked about too much, but is there if you want to go explore it, is you can tell what the price of the Stacks token is just by looking at the chain history of Bitcoin and Stacks. So you can look at the sequence of of miners sending Bitcoin transactions to attempts to mine stacks blocks. You can count up how many Satoshis they've spent to do that. And you can look at the number of stacks they would have earned by, by winning the block race. And you can reason to yourself, oh, the expected um, worth of the stacks token in terms of Bitcoin is X, like just by looking at the two stacks chains. Now you can do that for app chains as well. I can say, oh, well, I have, I have stackaroos, let's say is the, the token on my app chain. I know how many stacks each stackaroo is worth based on the mining activity on the stacks chain. And because I know how many Bitcoins um, a stacks token is worth, I can now, I now know how much stackaroos are worth in Bitcoin. Um, I've heard it said like by Patrick Stanley, for example, that Bitcoin has become this measuring stick now um, for everything that operates on top of Bitcoin. And that would include app chains. So every time there is a new um, Bitcoin block mined, that activates that creates a stacks block and that in turn creates app chain blocks, which create more app chain blocks, which create more app chain blocks. And they're all, they all have a, um, a, they all have tokens that are now measurable ultimately in the worth of Bitcoin. So that, that gets us a few things. Um, first of all, that gets us a way to reason about um, how uh, economically secure each app chain is. I can reason about like how much Bitcoin um, would have to be given up or, you know, equivalent of worth of Bitcoin had to be given up in order to um, execute a reorg on my app chain and how deep of a reorg I might want. And that in turn can inform me um, how many confirmations I should wait for my transaction to get mined. If my transaction is worth like X dollars, I want there to be, I want it to be the case that it costs more than X dollars to execute a reorg on the app chain I send it on. The other nice thing about this property that Bitcoin um, drives the execution here of the Stacks chain and all of its app chains is that it kind of blows out of the water this idea that Bitcoin is a waste of energy. Bitcoin is not a waste of energy. It's simply underutilized. A single Bitcoin block now is, um, is responsible for triggering the creation of an unbound number of blocks in these other chains. So you can amortize now the energy spend that went into producing that Bitcoin block across all of these chains and come to the conclusion that you're actually getting kind of a bargain. Like, sure, Bitcoin chain might take the power of a small European country nowadays, but that um, power budget is being applied to um, potentially billions of computing networks. If you consider how much energy that um, is required to power Facebook or Google, you might actually be getting a, a, a better deal there. Or even if it's approximately the same deal, like, you know, you can either put... Um, you know, some hundreds of megawatts into a data center or a fleet of data centers, or you can put the same hundreds of megawatts into mining Bitcoin and by extension, all of these other chains, you might actually be doing the same amount of work in either case. So if anything, we're, we're, if anything, we're just making sure that Bitcoin is properly utilized instead of underutilized, which is, which it is right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so you've shared examples with some of your work on app chains, um, one of them being an example of sort of Facebook and people being able to potentially sort of like mine their own chains in a similar way that you might control who's posting on your wall or your feed. Um, could you walk us through this example a little bit deeper? And also, um, maybe if you could focus on that mental equation that you were just describing around essentially that security versus cost trade-off and how we might reason about it as someone who's either a developer or an end user and interested in how this might work. Um, we'd love to hear more. Yeah, sure thing. So the, the way to think about so I've said in the past, like this kind of crazy radical idea that um, your Facebook wall might be its own blockchain. Um, let me unpack that. So back in the day, um, there was this social network called Diaspora. Um, it was kind of made as a response to the rise of Facebook and MySpace before it, um, where instead of having to trust a single entity with holding everybody's data, anyone can spin up their own pod um, that would just store their posts and it would federate with other people's pods, like your friend's pods, and synchronize state that way. Um, I guess you could say the spiritual successor of Diaspora is Mastodon today. It's kind of under the similar principles. Um, anyone can run their own instance of Mastodon. Um, Mastodon instances can federate with each other so that you can see an aggregate view of not only your Mastodon instance, but also your federated peers instances as well. Um, the in, in a similar vein, um, but a completely parallel effort is Tim Berners-Lee's notion of solid, uh, where everyone can host their own data in their own solid server. Um, there's been similar approaches to that, like tent.io, sandstorm.io. Um, those are a bit more those are a bit more obscure. I think some of them might be defunct by now. Um, but the the core uh, um, design principle of these systems, in contrast with other social media, is that you're expected to run your own web server, and that web server is responsible for holding your own state your own posts, your own pictures. And there is some way by which you can view um, everyone's, um, all of your friends' photos and pictures this way. So taken through that lens, um, the, uh, the key insight here is that um, the way in which the Stacks blockchain is designed is it's meant to supplant the need for web servers. If you look at how today, when you write a smart contract on on the Stacks blockchain, and this is a deliberate design decision, um, you have a list of public functions in your smart contract. Now, those are you know, mainly meant so that other smart contracts can call into your contract and you can compose smart contracts. But the, uh, well, the, the real cool case, um, from my perspective, through this lens, is that those public functions are also invocable in a read-only fashion through the HTTP interface of the Stacks node. So what we've done is we've made it so your smart contract is also a CGI script. So that being, that being said, it's a small little program that, you know, if you're building a web server, it's a program the web server runs to go generate a web page. And if you're sharing a web server, um, you know, back in, the, back in like the 90s, this is pretty common. You might have your own home directory. You might have your own CGI scripts. So if you load up your home page, um, your CGI scripts run. They generate the web page that people actually see, and you can have dynamic content that way. By making it so smart contracts are also serving the same role as a CGI script, we've made it so the Stacks blockchain is a lot like a shared web server. In fact, it's exactly like a shared web server. It's just that instead of being a web server running under a single administrative domain, it's a replicated web server. Everyone can run a copy of it. They all stay in sync. There's a, there's a token in place um, that financially incentivizes 
um, miners to um, add new CGI scripts and process um, global state changes, changes um, by means of uh, mining transactions. So what, what that means is that the, uh, the, Stacks web the Stacks blockchain is also the Stacks web server at the same time. They they're, they're just dual roles here. Um, in, in the realm of app chains, what that means is that every app chain is also like a web server. I mean, in fact, the scalability story of app chains is a lot of like scalability story of the web itself. Um, just like how the web itself grew from there being um, one or a handful of big iron web servers that handled the bulk of a load for a company's website. Um, nowadays, it's a cloud. You have um, a, a, a elastic fleet of these cheap servers that you just link together um, and they handle, um, all, they handle an unbound amount of request load. Uh, similarly, app chains are kind of like the cloudification of blockchains in that you just add more and more of these small blockchains together um, in a way that um, the amount of transaction capacity and aggregate can grow unbound. And um, each of these um, blockchains might be small by themselves, but they serve a very narrow uh, use case in the, in the greater context of the uh, set of blockchains that exist. So what that said is if I wanted to build Diaspora today, or if I wanted to build Mastodon today, um, it would make a lot of sense if I had, instead of a single web server to host my content, I would have a Gaia hub and a personal blockchain that simply maintained the state um, that people would see when they load it. If you want to go run a, if you want to go like mine blocks on my blockchain, or if you want to send transactions against my blockchain, uh, that's still the that's still the act of sending transactions or mining a blockchain in a general sense. You spin up a node yourself that runs a replica. You aggregate transactions people send. You mine blocks, etc. But now you don't have to worry about running a web server anymore. See, the problem with trying to make everyone run web servers is that most people don't. And for, understandably, like, why the hell would you? I don't run a server at home. It's a pain in the ass. Like, and, that's my and this is like my bread and butter. I have a PhD in computer science. And I don't run a web server because I hate it. But running a blockchain is really easy because as long as one person somewhere is running your node, you're fine. And you can't get locked into that one person running a node because you can spin up your own node at any given point in time and it will um, download and install and you know maintain a replica so that even if the person you, who was originally running it um, goes offline, this your your chain is still is still alive. So just like how Bitcoin is, you know, has like a hundred percent uptime since its creation, because at any given point in time, there's a few thousand nodes running um, replicas. That was, that would similarly be the case um, with any blockchain in the Stacks ecosystem as well. So you now have this this fleet of web servers that only that always are all always always online until no one's using them, and if no one uses them, no one cares if they're offline. Um, so that's that's really like the the far north star goal I have for the app chain scalability solution. Uh, we fulfill the promise of this of these decentralized uh, services that um, came before us, where everybody runs their own web server. But we're no longer making you run your own web server, and we're no longer requiring that um, web servers as a administrative uh, point of control exist in that capacity. Um, they exist simply as long as um, there exists one user who is interested in keeping them alive. Very cool. Thank you. And so would sort of the cost of mining an app chain um, be somewhat under the control of the person that is essentially setting it up? Or what would be the factors that would go into that? Sure. So the Stacks blockchain right now um, is an open membership blockchain. Anyone can mine. All it requires is sending a Bitcoin transaction. Um, part of the reason why um, the mining criteria for Stacks are really simple. You know, in addition to the whole ethos of we want anyone to be able to mine, it's an open membership system, um, the system can fork to route around problems. 
is also like, we can't actually do anything more than that. Uh, the Bitcoin scripting language is very simple. It doesn't let you have um, really powerful decision-making primitives on deciding who can mine and when. But this is not true in Clarity. Um, when you mine an app chaining in, on, top of the, on, on top of the Stacks blockchain, what you're really doing is you're sending transactions in Stacks, um, which store the same things that would have gone into Bitcoin, but you're um, routing them through the system. You're routing, the, you're routing them to the Stacks chain through a Clarity smart contract. And that smart contract can do things well beyond what Bitcoin script can do. Uh, so for example, if I'm running a private blockchain that just like maintains my posts, I could make a mining contract um, that requires that only I can mine. So it wouldn't matter if anyone else sent a, a block commit transaction, they'd be unable to mine. The, the smart contract would just say no. Thanks for the money, but no. Um, similarly, I could say like um, anyone can mine, but I have to sign off on it. So other people can mine, but I have to approve it. And by approving it, I allow you to have your Coinbase. I can do something like um, no forks are allowed. So by that, I mean like, you know, we can't, we, uh, there's no such thing as an undo button. There's no such thing as, like if you lose a block, um, your chain just stops. You can't make progress. I could also make it so that um, forks are allowed anywhere. And moreover, I can just delete a fork entirely. That's, for example, if I wanted to nuke my social history, or if I wanted to go back and edit my social history, that could, that could be realized by having a mining contract that permits me, the owner of that contract, um, to make changes retroactively. Um, so lots of, there's a, there's a huge design space here. Like if you can write it in clarity, it can be done. Uh, and that, that, would, that, that would let you determine um, the conditions under which blocks get mined. And you can be really arbitrary about it. You can say like, you know, the first thousand blocks are anyone can mine, but after that, it's just me. Or I could do the opposite, like the first thousand blocks are just me and then after that, anyone. Or I could say like only Elon Musk is allowed to mine my chain besides myself. Or I could say like, you know, it's a free for all on Fridays, but other than that, it's just me. <laughs> like whatever you want. If you can write it in clarity, um, you can make it happen. You can make your mining rules happen. Very cool. Thank you. Um, and so could you compare um, sort of app chains to other projects, scalability solutions? I think that there's different concepts of um, Cosmos sort of has parachains, um, Avalanche has subnets, um, there's different sharding approaches. What might be some of the differences? I, I can't speak to the first two just because I'm just not familiar with them. Um, I, I think I could speak perhaps to like sharding or to um, off-chain rollups. Um, which I guess are the two most superficially similar systems. Um, in the app chains, um, each chain has its own token and its own security budget. I think that's perhaps the, the biggest difference. We don't try to implement something like a two-way peg, like which is kind of like what like a side chain or a drive chain um, or some types of rollups implement. Um, largely because I guess like because I see these things as um, as web servers or like decentralized web servers, it doesn't matter too much to me that there are different tokens. Like there actually probably should be because the token fundamentally represents a right a, a permit a, um, a permission to write transactions to a particular chain. So naturally, chains that are popular should have different tokens so that the people who operate those chains can uh, realize the value that they have brought to the system by making it popular. Um, it doesn't bother me at all. Like to some people, that's a huge turnoff. Um, to some people, um, to, to, like the history really of, of trying to do scalability systems like this, um, it matters a lot to these people that the there's only one token and that token is manifest um, on both of these chains and that there can be no, um, and, that, and that, you know, it's kind of zero sum. Like you can't just mint more of the token. Um, I don't care. Like there should be as many tokens as there needs to be. 
uh, and that kind of is the biggest contrast to like, I think, um, off-chain roll-offs and, and side chains and drive chains and um, extension blocks, which is kind of a Bitcoin thing that came and went. Um, there's there, The app chains have their own tokens and that's okay. The uh, To speak to sharding, um, the biggest difference between app chains and sharding, besides the, the one, the, the, the besides the multitude of tokens versus there being a single token is that every sharding approach I've seen um, has this unfortunate property whereby if a shard breaks, like suppose like the, the nodes mining that shard all die or the shard loses some data somehow, um, regardless of how that happens, it can happen. And it can happen, it can be made to happen by somebody who really wants it to happen, like who wants to just, you know, break the chain. It's not clear how the system recovers from that. So one of the promises of sharded blockchain designs is that um, you could have a smart contract on shard A and it can do stuff and shard B can access that smart contract and so can shard C. I can trade tokens that interact with contracts across all of these shards and somehow it's supposed to work out. Like somehow the state of shards A, B, and C is supposed to stay in sync somehow. Um, the people who build these systems, I've maybe just not seen the right documents for it, but they don't really have a good answer for what happens when shard A dies or what happens when shard A gets reorged. Like does shard, if I have state on shards B and C that um, was dependent on shard A, does it get reverted somehow? Or do we now have this um, causal inconsistency across the, across the shards when a shard dies and you can't prove that, you know, the tokens that I traded on shard A um, for tokens on shard B, should that trade still have gone through now that shard A is dead? It's unknown. Uh, some approaches try to solve this by routing um, cross shard operations through like a beacon chain or some sort of central chain. But the problem with that is that then your um, any sort of cross shard operations are now bound by how fast they can go through the beacon chain, which is not very fast at all because as, we, as mentioned earlier, blockchains can't scale. They don't scale. Uh, so instead of trying to deal with that, that kind of failure recovery problem um, by making it so app chains have their own tokens and their own transactions um, and just you know basically punting on this idea of there being cross app chain um, interactions in a seamless manner, uh, we just sidestep that problem altogether. Like if I have an app chain and it dies, no other app chain cares. It's fine. Like they're meant to come and go. Just like how if on, on the web today, one web server dies, the rest of the web just keeps on chugging without it. And it doesn't matter. Like maybe links break, but again, like that's not really a, a show-stopping problem for the web. Um, that said though, like there is still space in the app chain design for things like cross app chain atomic swaps, just like there was space in blockchains today for cross chain atomic swaps. And that would be the way by which you have app chain to app chain interactions. Uh, similarly, because app chains have POX, um, anything that you might do with stacks and Bitcoin, like, you know, having custodianless um, Bitcoin on stacks, you could simply have custodianless stacks on an app chain. So you might have this uh, hierarchical integration whereby app chains can react to uh, transactions on their host chains. And similarly, the, the transactions that are permitted on the host chain to mine blocks are subject to um, prior state in the app chain, just like how uh, valid Bitcoin transactions that mine stacks blocks are dependent on the reward set in the stacks chain today. So those types of, of hierarchical interactions are, are permitted in the same way that they're permitted today on the stacks in Bitcoin. Um, but unlike the sharded designs, we don't care if app chains die. Just like how Bitcoin doesn't care if Stacks dies or doesn't care that Stacks exists, um, Stacks doesn't care if app chains exist at all. All right, thank you. And so you just mentioned an area where um, further development could be made. I'm curious if there are any sort of uh, limitations or things that folks should keep in mind when uh, approaching app chains. Sure. So um, just the web server analogy, I think, is still still helpful here. 
like if you have a web server yourself and you're trying to make it um, interact with state on someone else's web server, you're going to have to go out of your way to make that happen. Like there's nothing intrinsic to Nginx or Apache that make it so that, you know, a database write um, will be replicated on somebody else's web server. You'd have to like get the permission to do it. You'd have to set up some sort of synchronization protocol behind the scenes. And that's all very explicit. That's something that's not the web server's problem. I think that's very similar to app chains. Like if you want to make a smart contract on one app chain that um, takes actions um, to smart contracts that on other app chains, you're going to have to have some sort of relay mechanism to make that happen. And that's honestly okay. Like it's any, anything that you might use to make that happen today between, um, between blockchains. Like if you want to trade, for example, um, Ethereum for Solana, you would need an exchange. Like there just has to be some sort of intermediary that um, allows that trade to manifest on both chains. And that's, that, that's largely how you would make um, inter-app inter -app chain interactions happen as well. Um, but that said, though, like we do have some strategies we can employ because um, all app chains behave the same way, like they all support clarity. So if there exists a way at all um, by which two app chains can interact, then that mechanism um, can be applied to all the app chains in existence. Um, I have a write-up on one way in which I think subnets might go um, that might address this problem. Um, if you think of like a subnet as kind of like a super lightning channel, uh, whereby you have a bunch of users with a bunch of tokens um, locked up and then interacting through an off-chain uh, relay mechanism, whereby um, eventually they may want to exit and in doing so settle their balances by leaving the subnet, you might have something kind of like that for app chains. Um, you might even make it so that they are um, inter-app chain compatible, uh, just as long as um, you just as long as you make sure that you know um, the act of exiting this this super subnet um, ensures that the uh, tokens that you're exiting with are sufficiently confirmed, um, you'd look at the chain security budget to figure out how many confirmations you would need, and everything should be fine um, unless someone's really trying to break the system. But at which case, you kind of signed up for that risk in the first place. Um, you you could, for example, make it so that I might have um, an NFT chain, like I might have a Stacks Punk chain at some point. And maybe I might want to chain a stack, chain, uh, not chain, excuse me, <laughs> trade a stacks punk for a stacks, a stacks pop. And that can be a separate chain. Now, if I know how much these two things are worth, um, I could, I could, I could, for example, um, I could set up a, uh, a protocol by which I lock my NFTs on both of these chains. Um, there's a lightning type mechanism that allows myself and other traders to um, exchange them offline. And later on, I might exit by um, by by real by you know um, uh, making it so that a stacks punk that I did not own I would now own. I could submit a proof to the stacks punk chain that proves that I now own it thanks to this off chain interaction I've had. And likewise for the stacks pops, um, what I would just make need to make sure happens is if I know how expensive it is to uh, reorg the stacks punks chain or reorg the stacks pops chain. I would just make sure that the amount of money that I paid for those NFTs um, is less than the cost it would take to attack these chains before I would be allowed to exit on chain with my new NFTs. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And um, you've mentioned this concept of like 4.2 billion chains, I think is like the upper limit for, for app chains. Can you quantify and give us a little bit more of a mental picture around um, the extent to which app chains could scale transactions on stacks and um, what the potential limits to transaction volume might be? Um, I know it's sort of in proof of concept phase right now, but um, yeah, anything to keep in mind there? 
Sure. So um, app chains are organized hierarchically. Um, you have you have this notion of a host chain and a client chain, uh, whereby there's this mining contract on the host chain that allows um, miners of the client chain to submit block commits and in doing so build up a block history, much like how miners of the Stacks chain use Bitcoin as the host chain for Stacks. So um, that said, the Stacks chain has finite capacity like any other blockchain. So there's an upper limit on the number of app chains, like um, tier one app chains it could support or degree one separation app chains, I think is what I call it in the doc. Um, let's let's just say for the sake of argument, that's 10. It's probably more than 10. It's probably more like 100. Um, but the point is, it's not that big. But that doesn't really matter at the end of the ga- end of the day, because each of those 10 chains, if they have the same block limit as a Stacks chain, can host 10 more chains. So you might have, you know, 10. Um, let's do some math here. If there's if there's 10 chains, and you, then that would give you 100 chains right there, right? And then those could have, then after that, there could be a thousand um, tier three chains, 10,000 tier four chains. You have an exponentially, you can support exponentially more um, chains the further degrees of separation you are from Bitcoin. Um, that said, though, in the, even in the app chains proof of concept, you can change the block size of your app chain to be different from that of stacks. Like in the demo one that I have running right now, it's twice as big. So maybe there could be a tier two app chain that can support a thousand um, tier three app chains. And that could be fine. Like, I actually think that at the end of the day, um, all of the chains that are not at the highest tier are going to be responsible mainly for hosting chains. And that's totally fine. Um, there might even be ones that are um, designed specifically to make it easy to host. Like, there could be one that has a bigger block size specifically because it's optimized for hosting. Um, so anyway, like the number of degrees of separation between Bitcoin and your app chain is going to just grow logarithmically in the total number of app chains. So if there's 4.2 billion app chains, there might only be nine degrees of separation between you and Bitcoin if you're on the, at the periphery here. And that's something that you could build a light client for. Um, that's something that you can make um, relatively um, straightforward and relatively painless from a compute resources standpoint to um, use an SPV-like protocol to verify that all of the chains that link your uh, your app chain to the Bitcoin chain are in sync. And you can calculate the that economic budget I mentioned earlier, like how costly would it be to attack any of these chains linking your chain to the Bitcoin chain? And that in turn would inform you um, how many confirmations you need to wait um, to safely um, transact on your app chain. And that would be permitted, that, that could be done without you even needing to run nodes for all of these intermediate chains. But even if for whatever reason you did need to, that's still only a logarithmic number of chains you would have to run nodes for out of the entire set of app chains that exist. And that's really where the scalability um, comes from. You're on the right side of the exponent here. Very cool. Thank you. Um, and so I think that as we're continuing to build on this concept of app chains and as folks play around with them more, um, there's just going to be a lot more excitement. Um, are there any uh, things that we might look out for from the user experience perspective when considering sort of a multi-chain world? I really like your web server um, analogy there, but yeah, I'm just curious about your thoughts in terms of how this might play out. Sure. So um, because each app chain is also the st- uses the Stacks chain's protocols, um, the act of making a transaction for an app chain is no different really than making a transaction on the Stacks chain. Um, the only thing you change is the uh, chain ID field of the transaction, which is relatively straightforward to do. Um, I haven't tried this on a ledger yet, but I would imagine that if the ledger app does not support sending transactions on, the sta- on app chains, it could be made to do so relatively easily. Because again, you're just changing the chain ID. 
Um, if you're building a wallet for the Stacks chain, um, it could easily be ported to an app chain by the same mechanism. You just make sure to use the right chain ID. Um, same with the, uh, I think I'm pretty sure a block explorer would just work on modified because the event protocol that the Stacks node uses to propagate events to the block explorer is unchanged. Um, and that's that's a feature. Like app chains are meant to be as close to the behavior of the Stacks chain as possible. So if you get a developer tool or a user facing tool working on the Stacks chain, it should just work automatically or with minimal modification on an app chain. And that's that's meant to be like a power multiplier. Like I I, I want app chains to be very similar to the Stacks chain for this very reason. Um, so for making it user friendly. Um, so maybe I speak, uh, sorry, I want to just say one last thing about developer friendliness. Like the act of instantiating an app chain is really easy. You just um, download and install the uh, Stacks blockchain code base, and then there's a, a new command for running the Stacks node as an app chain. Um, you write up your mining contract, you deploy your mining contract, you, you can add um, custom boot code to your app chain so that you have some smart contracts that are specific to your app built in from the get-go. And as long as you're running one seed node, which is something relatively straightforward to do, um, then you're just good to go after that. People can run, can spin up and run their own app chain nodes that will run replicas of your app chain. I actually have already seen this happen um, for the MVP that I have. There's at least one other app chain node out there talking to my seed node that I set up. And that's really cool to see. Like It shows that it's really just as painless as we had thought it would be. Um, so for user for user tooling, like making it so that you know your your Gaia hubs, your um, your BNS um, name resolvers, um, all that tooling should just work automatically with app chains. Um, same with wallets. Um, I, there's I'm not I'm not trying to trivialize the I'm not trying to say that there's no work required. There will be some work required to make all of Hero's tooling work with app chains, but it should be pretty small. Perfect. Thank you. Um, and so what are sort of the next steps in developing app chains? You've released the MVP. Um, is there a way that you'd prefer that folks sort of give it a try or get involved? So I gave the, uh, the MVPs just a, is meant to be that, like it's relatively painless way to start mining or start running a node. Um, one thing I would love to do, like if I can find the time to do it, is um, build a real app with an app chain besides just having the chain running. Uh, one concept I've been toying with is trying to build something kind of like a subreddit on an app chain. Um, maybe it could be like the, the toy example I, I've shared around um, with a few engineers is this idea of there being like a meme chain. All, what, what you would do is you could mine memes um, by making it so that um, the act of um, submitting a transaction um, is the act of attaching a meme to it, like just a URL to a meme sitting in a Gaia hub somewhere. and um, the act of your transaction getting picked up. So typically you would pay a transaction fee for this, but the act of it being picked up um, would give you a, a reward slot in the app chain's POX. So miners are mining memes and they're mining high quality memes because they want people to you know, participate in the memeing. Um, and the people who submit the high quality memes end up getting a payout in the, the base token. That would be awesome. I would love to see this uh, come to life. <laughs> Very cool. So we'll point people to your GitHub, to the MVP that's out there. Um, are there any other sort of takeaways, closing thoughts you'd like to share? Um, I guess like, you know, if you, if the rest of this is over y'all's head, like just remember blockchains don't scale. So like if, if you ended up giving money to someone who claims blockchains can scale, like, I'm sorry, but you're not going to get back. You were the mark. Um, that's okay. Like we've all been there. Uh, Blockchains don't scale. Um, make sure the, the way in which we make sure that there is enough blockchain for everyone is to make more blockchains.
Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Um, Jude Nelson, I really appreciate you taking the time being on Stacker Chats. I hope this was a great um, overview of app chains for everyone out there watching. Um, I feel like Jude, we could have lots of talks about lots of different topics, but um, I think we did a, a thorough job here. Um, if you enjoyed this chat, definitely make sure you're subscribed to the Hero YouTube channel. Um, and if you have any questions, either leave them below or um, let us know on Twitter and we'd be happy to answer. Thank you so much, Jude. Thanks everyone.